Welcome to the Paralegal Voice, where you hear the latest issues and trends in the world of paralegals and legal assistance by two of the best-known paralegals in the industry, Vicki Voison and Linda Venny. Each of them paralegals for over 20 years and both dedicated to helping legal professionals reach their goals. You're listening to the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Paralegal Voice. Thank you for joining us on our monthly podcast here at the Legal Talk Network. I'm Lynn DeVenny, a North Carolina State Bar certified paralegal employed by a small civil rights firm, Elliot Pishko Morgan in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I provide litigation support in an increasingly diverse areas, uh, including immigration, social security disability, employment law, workers' compensation, and personal injury. I'm also the co-author with my boss, Griff Morgan, of the book, uh, Workers' Compensation Practice for Paralegals, which I'm excited to say that we've been invited by our publisher to work on the second edition. It's great to be getting to a second edition. And I also blog for the paralegal profession at practicalparalegalism.com. And I'm Vicki Voison, a NALA Advanced Certified Paralegal, calling in from Charlevoix, Michigan. I call myself the Paralegal Mentor and publish a weekly e-zine titled Paralegal Strategies. I'm also the co-author of The Professional Paralegal, A Guide to Finding a Job and Career Success, published by Pearson Prentice Hall. And more information is available at paralegalmentor.com, where new subscribers receive my 151 tips for your career success. Before we begin, a big thanks goes out to the sponsors of The Paralegal Voice, NALA, a professional association for paralegals, providing continuing education and professional certification programs for paralegals at NALA.org. And CLIO, web-based program management at goclio.com. The goal of the Paralegal Voice is to discuss a wide range of topics important to the paralegal industry and to share with you leading trends, significant developments, and resources that we think you'll find helpful in your careers and everyday jobs. We'll also have guests on the program to help us explore timely topics. On today's show, our guest is Jared D. Correa, Esquire, the Senior Law Practice Advisor for Massachusetts Law Office Management Assistance Program, better known as LOMAP. You can find out more about Jared at masslomap.org. I'm very excited about today's show because Jared is going to be discussing one of my favorite topics, new technology for paralegals and the benefits of social media. Jared, welcome to our podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, Jared, you know, all of your many accomplishments aside, you're, are, you're really a star in our world because you literally tell me that you love paralegals. So tell our <laughs> listeners why and share some tips for paralegals uh, regarding the pluses and the minuses of working, you know, as a paralegal and your tips for attorneys to increase the utilization of paralegals. Uh, that is true. I do love paralegals, in fact, literally, or at least one. Uh, my wife is a legal assistant uh, at a law firm in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and I work in downtown Boston. Um, so we commute on the train together every day, and I hear from her all the uh, pros and cons about how our day is gone. <laughs> Perhaps we should have had her on the show, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> I'll let her know you have an interest. <laughs> Definitely. Um, you know, I've uh, I've always personally loved having paralegals to work with. Uh, when I was starting out, I'll tell you, I learned probably 70% of what I learned about the practice from the paralegals I worked with. And as I got 
more uh, more anchored in my career career and started figuring out, you know, what it's like to actually be an attorney. The paralegals were a tremendous support system for me. Um, I don't think that's the uh, experience that most paralegals have. However, I, I always felt like the paralegals I worked with were part of the team. They were my colleagues more than anything else. But I think a lot of attorneys treat paralegals poorly um, as sort of second-class citizens, which is really unfortunate because in a lot of ways, paralegals really drive the practice of law. They push forward all that transactional work that attorneys don't necessarily want to be engaged in, or uh, unfortunately, some attorneys think they're above being engaged in. Um, So I think one benefit, however, of being a paralegal is really that you have less responsibility. Uh, Basically, the attorney is the person who's signing documents in the end, and uh, the responsibility goes back to the attorneys who have to supervise um, uh, younger attorneys and also their paralegals and other support staff as well. I mean, don't embezzle money, and you should be fairly well. (laughs) You should do fairly well as a paralegal if you know what you're doing, and you get ramped up to knowing what you're doing fairly quickly, I think, if you work in a good firm or for a good attorney. one disadvantage, I think, and we were talking about this before we went on air today, is that it seems to me that sometimes the paralegals work more than the attorneys do. And uh, in addition to that, uh, there's that limited level of respect sometimes, which is really unfortunate. Um, I think, though, that firms should start to use paralegals to a greater degree. I think a lot of firms sort of think of these paralegals, as I referenced before, as sort of transactional drones or dispensable worker bees, which is not the best way to go about it. And I think there are two ways in particular that paralegals can get more involved in firms or more appropriately should be allowed to get more involved in firms because that's really what it's about. Uh, Most of the paralegals I talk to, most of the legal assistants I talk to are willing to do more in different types of work than they do currently just to sort of break up the day because, you know, doing these transactional matters over and over again can be sort of a pain. So as far as breaking up the day, changing the pace, doing different things, I think law firms could utilize paralegals, one, to deal with technology, both the implementation and maintenance of that technology, and also to help out with marketing, particularly with social media, uh, particularly with some of the younger paralegals and legal assistants that come in who are sort of these digital natives who have a good sense of how to use this stuff, whereas a lot of law firms and a lot of the attorneys who are the partners in those law firms don't really have a good sense of. Jared, I was really happy to hear you um, state that you view paralegals as being part of the team. Um, I think, you know, paralegals and lawyers make just almost a magical team and, and they both, you know, all of the things that they do are completely necessary to get the work done. So I was happy to hear you say that. And as far as uh, technology, um, I know my firm is more than happy. Um, they've asked they've asked me to do a tech tips luncheon once a month. So we talk tech or sometimes we talk about the software in the office. And uh, one of the most valuable software um, that I've used over the several decades, and I've used several packages, is law practice management software. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that, uh, especially for some of our listeners um, who may work for smaller firms or solos and, and don't have access to law practice management software right now? Oh, sure. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's great that your firm does that. Uh, that's not the norm from what I hear about. But then again, I work with a lot of small and solo attorneys. Um, We're not normal. Not, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, that, and that can be a good thing in the yes. legal field. <laughs> well, just to give you a brief rundown on law practice software, which I think if a firm is using it, it's important for paralegals to know about. Uh, 
we get questions on law practice management software all the time, and the market's really exploding. There's a lot of tools available out there now that attorneys can use, and there's a broad range of categories. Um, so I think before we discuss the types, uh, the first thing to realize is that if you're a, a paralegal or firm where a software like this already exists, and you know it, it's entrenched in the firm, uh, the opportunity there is to learn the software, to become a power user of the software, and to teach others how to use it. Um, if it's not so entrenched or if the firm is looking for other software opportunities, there may be a, a, an advantage there in helping uh, the firm to choose the next software that you find to be useful uh, and, again, becoming a power user and teaching people how to use it. But basically, with respect to law practice management software, I, I think it breaks down into four categories. The first is a sort of traditional software download, DVD download package or, or CD download package, which you put onto your software. Uh, it lives on your computer, and that's where you access it. Um, these are the sort of traditional ways that this software was put together. Uh, Needles, for example, is a popular option uh, as far as that works out. Um, you've also got these softwares that are sort of cloud-based programs. So they're not living on your computer necessarily, but they're... Uh, allowing you access via the internet to all your information through a secured, password-protected website. Then you've got these hybrid programs, which are becoming popular now, and a lot of the traditional desktop applications are now uh, adding on cloud components because it's a popular thing to do. Everybody wants web access. Everybody wants to be on the cloud. So you've got now this hybrid system, which works as a uh, sort of uh, desktop option plus uh, online access and, you know, some of the traditional software products like Abacus Law, for example, now has a cloud version of their product called Abacus Sky. Um, there's finally these email add-on programs. So some attorneys use their email system to manage their practice, which is not an entirely effective way to do it because you're missing some components. Right. So there's a program out there called Credenza, which is a free program for solo attorneys. Uh, if you're working in teams, it's going to be $25 a month. But it basically adds on law practice management components to an email system. Uh, Outlook, which most people use already. So the learning curve is greatly reduced. So that's really helpful. And it's cheap if you're a solo attorney and it's cheap if you're a small firm attorney. Um, I should mention as well some of the cloud providers. Clio is sponsored of this program as a cloud provider and there are others out there. But basically what a law practice management system is going to do is it's going to provide a practice dashboard for your uh, law firm. So you're going to be able to see all your clients, and then you're going to be able to drill down from the clients to get a lot, of, a chronological review of everything that's happened in that case if you want it. It's going to be some document management functionality, some calendar management functionality. You're going to see some sync in between your email system, your calendar, and your practice management system. And it's just a really useful tool for attorneys. And it's actually a tremendous hedge against malpractice because attorneys used to use these red books where they jotted down informational notes by hand, and they used to try to track their practice that way. It's much easier to do it on a centralized dashboard that syncs to everything else. So if you're on your smartphone, for example, you can see exactly what you've got going on in your practice by logging into your practice management system that way. Uh, something that paralegals and attorneys should both use, something that you, they should use as a team, which is what we talked about before. And, you know, a lot of attorneys uh, don't necessarily have the time or don't think they have the time to learn these systems. So paralegals can really make themselves uh, really useful to the firm by learning these systems, becoming the power user, becoming the person that other people go to to learn how to use these programs. And they help the attorneys in the long run. So, 
Jared, I want to touch briefly on your term power user. I think they would call me in our firm power nagger. I'm always <laughs> asking them to use features of the case management program to better document uh, phone calls so and intakes so that people you know, won't get confused and it helps us with conflicts of interest. So I happen to be a power nagger. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Well, Jared, one of the the main questions that people have about cloud-based solutions is whether or not they're secure. So what do you, um, you know, what's your opinion about that? Well, um, you should, first of all, vet any software program that you use. So don't go in blind. Make sure you're using a program that is uh, sort of time-tested. It's been around for a little while. It's not a fly-by-night company that's going to go out of business. Take a look and see what kind of financing the company has. Um, if they've got good financing, if they've been around for a while, chances are they're more legitimate than another company. You also want to see what sort of security protocol they have in place. So where is their server farm? Yeah, what do they do to protect your data? Um, are there user access controls, which can be really helpful when you've got a team of people or a number of people who have different access levels? Um, take a look at their terms of service. When and how are they going to give away your information? Um, what happens when uh, you don't want to use the service anymore, potentially? Say you choose a program, you have it for a year or two, and you get sick of it or something else comes along that you want to use. How do you get your information back, and, and what package is that uh, going to come in? That's something important to look at. The other thing I tell people is that most of these services do encrypt your information which is useful. Most of them apply a password, which is great, but you need to do two things on top of that, I think. You want to choose a password that's a strong password that's going to be very difficult for somebody to crack. Um, my password, for example, for my Google accounts is like 54 characters long. I'm obsessive about password control. Uh, if you want to check to see how strong your password is, there's a website called howsecureismypassword.com, which is a fairly interesting exercise. Second thing you want to do, I think, is if you're going to upload any data or information to any of these programs, you want to make sure you encrypt it. And this is called client-side encryption or pre-encryption. So these services encrypt, but that also means that they have the encryption key. So if they want to give away your information to a government agency or to somebody else, they can do it because they'll just break their own encryption key. Or if a hacker comes in and, and gets into that system via a loophole, they only have one encryption code to crack. If you add your own encryption code, you take back that control. So you now have the encryption key, which is really useful. It gives hackers another thing to have to break through, and it allows you to maintain the control instead of giving it over to the uh, cloud-based system. So you can do that easily through Microsoft Word or Adobe Acrobat, which most people use, which have built-in encryption tools. Or there are programs out there that will set up a pass-through folder where you can push any documents you want to upload to the cloud so it'll add encryption automatically. So you've got a second layer of encryption that way as well. Uh, there is Boxcryptor, which is a popular program, and also CloudFogger. They both do the same thing. And they work with pretty much any cloud-based program, and they're free up to a certain amount of gigabytes. I'm glad you uh, talked about that in detail, Jared, because uh, digital security is one of my favorite ethics topics. Um, and you've actually given me some new references that I'll be, I'm looking forward to checking out. Um, Great. Legal technology has, you know, as you discussed earlier, has really made it possible for people to work from anywhere. And I know that a lot of our listeners out there, um, you know, would love to be able, you know, with rising gas prices to 
work a day or two at home or if they've got sick children, work from home. Um, can you talk a little bit about the remote, remote access opportunities that are available today and why they're a good idea for law firms to implement? Oh, yeah. So my son is six months old and I'm, I'm fairly jealous of him because I know <laughs> like 20 years from now, I'm going to have a conversation where I'm like, when I used to work in the office and he's going to say, Dad, what's an office? <laughs> so until that time, remote access is possible, useful, and is something that firms should apply, I think, especially for paralegals who are doing a lot of transactional work. So as a paralegal, you're not having a ton of meetings with clients necessarily. You're not taking clients out to lunch. That, that's for the attorneys who want to sort of make the rain. Um, so as a paralegal, I think you're doing that transactional work. You're using settled numbers of systems that you use over and over again. You can easily use remote access to accomplish that. Um, you're right, saves gas, saves time, saves electricity, saves costs for the firm, um, saves trouble uh, in commuting for people. And it also encourages people to work more hours, frankly. Uh, instead of commuting, people are probably going to get up a little bit earlier, start working immediately, and probably work a little bit later. So it inures to the firm's benefit. There are a bunch of remote access tools out there. I mean, a, a law firm could set up a VPN, for example, using an IT person so that somebody could log in through that and have access to their desktop. Um, you got remote access options through services like LogMe and or GoToMyPC, which are potentially useful. Um, so there are a number of ways that folks could get remote access. And so we talked about law practice management tools that exist online. So you can organize everything and have access to that organization using one of these law practice management cloud tools. And there's also share and collaboration sites like Dropbox or um, SugarSync, where you can get documents back and forth, work on documents, share and collaborate. Um, there are also document management tools that some firms use, although I think for most of the small and solo firms that I talk to, those are cost prohibitive. But there are so many tools out there. Most of them are free or cheap that firms should really be taking advantage of this and allowing people to work at home if they can effectively work at home. I think a lot of this comes from firms wanting to have people in the office to be able to control those people. Uh, but the issue is that if you have good employees who are going to get the work done anyway, they'll get it done at home just as well as they'll get it done in the office. And a lot of this tracks back to people's unwillingness to fire employees who don't do a good job. Well, I'm glad to hear you say this, Jared, because I'm fortunate enough to work from home for two attorneys and then work on all of my paralegal mentor business, too. So it works out really well for me, and I, I, I agree with you that paralegals should more and more be able to do this. And this last week I did a, oh, a recording it is, is uh, with several virtual professionals who handle all of their paralegal work from home. And they were talking about setting up their virtual businesses and, you know, tips for that. So it's becoming more and more popular. And I, we're just going to have to um, make attorneys understand that. So it's time for a quick break. When we return, we'll continue our discussion with Jared Correa. And now a word from our sponsors, Nala and Cleo. Nala means professional. Nala offers classroom and web-based continuing education and professional development for all paralegals. And Nala's certified paralegal credential has been a gold standard of professionalism for over 30 years. More than 15,000 paralegals have this certification, and nearly 2,000 have achieved the demanding advanced certified paralegal. Nala works actively with others in the legal field to promote the value of paralegals and to advance paralegal professionalism. See more about why Nala means professional at www.nala.org. 
Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack takes a look at the process of moving to the cloud. Now, how long does it take to move to the cloud, and is it a difficult process? No, I, with most cloud computing providers, moving uh, your data into the cloud is something that takes just minutes, not hours or days to do. You can get signed up and running with most services in just a few minutes. And uh, even if you have an existing, uh, a legacy set of data that you want to migrate to a a web-based practice management system like Clio, there's migration tools and migration services that we're able to offer to ease that process. So most firms can be up and running to the cloud in less than, in the cloud in less than five minutes and can have their data imported uh, in a matter of hours or days. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O dot com. Welcome back to the Paralegal Voice. I'm Vicki Voison, and in this episode, we're talking with Jared Correa, the Senior Practice Advisor for Massachusetts Law Office Management Assistance Program, better known as LOMAP. Now, Jared, I'd like to discuss next the paralegal's important role in law firm technology. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, uh, paralegals, I think, have an important role in law firm technology, some of which we've touched on previously, so I won't belabor the point. But I think it's helpful that paralegals can research technology for the firm to use when attorneys are out there billing. They don't feel like they have time to do it for the most part. And part of this research is vetting the products to make sure they're effective, um, to do some research into the company, um, to see whether the company is going to be around, to see how it works within the law firm environment. How will a product work with other software that the law firm already uses, for example? Who's going to talk to the IT person about implementation of these programs? A paralegal can do that. Uh, in Massachusetts, for example, and I don't believe this is the other the case in other states as of yet, but it may be coming. Uh, small businesses, uh, businesses generally, in fact, are, are required by state law to vet uh, providers that have access to uh, law firm information or business information that's protected by uh, state rules. So oftentimes in Massachusetts, a paralegal can be the person to do that. Um, they can beta test products as well, which is useful. Get into a beta test, try it out, maybe get a discount or a free product, which is useful. And again, they can teach their colleagues. Uh, paralegals who can become power users within the law firm make themselves more indispensable to that firm, and they can be really useful to people who are trying to get up to speed, especially attorneys, a lot of whom end up being tech-phobic. Um, and they can help to get buy-in from the firm. If really effective good paralegals are using products and using them well and can show other people how to use it. It makes it easier to get others to buy into the product as well and start to use it and make them an integral part of the process, really. If you have a power user or a power nagger who can keep (laughs) keep people on track, that's really helpful. Yes, I'm the power nagger. It's been interesting. Um, We've gotten a lot of new technology in the office and um, it's fallen to me to break down um, to-do manuals, to teach the steps to do it and put those steps in a place where everybody can find them. Um, I I like to use Evernote. I keep notebooks for various uh, different types of technology. And as I work through things, because I have a terrible memory, I put everything (laughs) in Evernote, which is my memory and my brain. So (laughs) if it ever goes down, well, I will too with it. (laughs) Um, The next uh, topic we're going to talk about is uh, social media, which continues to explode in popularity, um, but it's been my experience. I've been speaking all over the state um, this year, presenting a sort of a combination ethics, um, cyber sleuth, 
uh, CLE. And before I start each session, um, because it is about social media and I want to get a feel for how much the audience, which is usually paralegals, is using it, I'll ask people, how many of you are using LinkedIn? Almost everybody. How many of you are using Facebook? A couple of hands drop. Hmm. How many of you are using Twitter? All but two hands drop. Hmm. <laughs> How many yeah. of you are blogging either for yourself or for your firm? No hands. So, you know, it's an interesting topic and one that I think uh, paralegals will hopefully think a lot more about after this podcast. So, so what, do you, what would you recommend um, some areas that paralegals could do more for their firm in terms of social media? I mean, I, I think social media is a place where firms have some trouble marketing themselves um, for two reasons. I mean, one one is that uh, a lot of the attorneys have already set up referral pipelines, so they've got some business coming in. So they feel like, you know, I, I've set this up. It's going to continue to move forward, and I don't really need to do any new marketing. That's not always the case, especially since the legal field changes so frequently. Uh, sometimes those referral pipelines dry up, and if you're not finding ways to get new clients, you could potentially be in trouble. So social media is a good place to go to sort of find new client pipelines. Um, the other thing too is that um, I think with respect to like younger paralegals and legal assistants they have an innate sense of how these uh, tools are used and they have uh, some more time potentially than attorneys to do this stuff who are, who are working to billable hour limits um, so there may be a space for paralegals there and, and the question for firms I think is uh, are they going to use their attorneys to do it who don't necessarily do it effectively or are they going to hire a marketing person to do it? Hiring a marketing person can be expensive. Hiring a marketing person means that you're taking somebody on who doesn't know a whole lot about the firm culture and what the firm's trying to achieve. I mean, why not hire a paralegal or a legal assistant uh, or use a paralegal or legal assistant who's already in place, who knows the firm culture and who's willing to help out to get uh, some assistance with some marketing? Um, attorneys aren't the only ones necessarily who can bring in clients. So, the first part is obviously if you're a law firm, you're going to do this. You need to make sure that you have a paralegal or a legal assistant that you can trust who's going to stay on message for you. Um, you don't necessarily have to pay them to do this stuff, but there could be incentive programs. I mean, you don't want to be sharing fees with non-lawyers, but, you know, you can give people gift cards every now and then for helping out with stuff or figure out other ways to uh, sort of encourage people to do this. Um, I think blogging is tremendously useful. Um, if a firm would allow paralegal to do that, I think using a blog, uh, to get promotion on Twitter is helpful as well. You post a blog post, you push it out through Twitter, you're going to find that your blog traffic increases significantly. Now, Facebook is really useful as well. You can create a firm Facebook page and then you have somebody post to that page. We have a website and we have a Facebook page at my office. We have infinitely more hits on our Facebook page than we have on our website, which is not surprising. Facebook is the most visited website in the world. Um, LinkedIn is really useful. You could have one of your paralegals set up a professional profile on LinkedIn and try to market the firm that way. And again, with all this ability to cross-post, you could do a blog post and repurpose it in three or four different places. It's not that difficult to do. And if you've got somebody who's going to be able to stay in line on the firm message, it's really useful. You don't have to hire, hire an outside marketing person. Um, the other thing as well is for paralegals to think about is it's a way to show your expertise on the web as well. You end up being one step ahead of the game. You're building your reputation, and you can do so quickly and, and effectively, as you both know. And, you know, for purposes of looking at jobs in the future, because nobody's really on the gold watch program anymore, um, if you're looking at future legal employers and you're doing a good job marketing your firm, that may be another reason for somebody else to hire you potentially for more money. There's lots of turnover in the legal industry, so you do have to watch out for number one to a certain extent. Uh, 
Uh, so you can market yourself and your firm at the same time, which I think is useful for paralegals who are, are firms that would be willing to allow them to help market the firm. And finally, if you're a paralegal who's in business for yourself or, or doing contract work, it's a great way to promote your own business. Even if you use only the four big tools, really, blogging, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, you're, uh, you're one step ahead of the game. I totally agree with you, Jared. And I really do enjoy using social media. Sometimes when people, uh, when I talk to people about Twitter, they look at me like I'm, I'm crazy. <laughs> but I have to tell you that Twitter has been the best networking tool for me as I, you know, have gotten my business off the ground. And I always suggest that people use it. Yeah. Um, now, the uh, yeah, the other thing that I find interesting about Twitter is the the number of people that you can meet. You know, it's not only a marketing tool, but it's also a networking tool. And when I do any professional development presentations, that's the 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 one thing that I ask everyone to please to please try. So what about uh, do you have any other tips for um, using social media? Well, I, I think you're right, first of all, is that uh, Twitter is probably the best tool for professional development around as far as social media is concerned. So that's something that people should really look into. Cross-posting is useful. Make sure you do something once and then repurpose it over time. Um, don't necessarily post from Twitter, say, to all your other social networks at once because a Twitter post looks weird on Facebook, for example. So you want to make sure that you're repurposing stuff, but in a way that's intelligent and useful, not doing it all at once. Um, I think if you're doing social media, you have to have an eye to what your return on investment is. It's very easy to do 9 or 10 or 12 different social media sites and not really know what kind of effect you're having. So you have to figure out what the return on investment is, how are you going to judge that. Um, I tell people to develop a marketing plan, which is really useful. Most people scoff at me when I say to develop a marketing plan. So I say, all right, if you don't have a marketing plan, you should at least have a marketing platform in place. So you need to know what three or four or five things you're doing to market your firm and then figure out whether or not those are working and which ones are working. Uh, you should have a marketing budget of some kind, especially if you're working for a firm. You want to stay on budget. Um, and if you're in your own business, you want to make sure that you're not overrunning your costs because you're doing too much in marketing, spending too much on marketing. The appeal of this is that a lot of it is free and cheap and easy to use. So you don't have to pay a ton to get your marketing done. Um, so with respect to that return on investment, you want to develop a formula. You want to have some sense of what your intake is. Uh, so people come in, they fill out a form, they tell you about how you heard, how they heard about you, and you run those numbers. And you want to make sure you're using web analytics, especially if you're using some of these social media tools. So Google Analytics, you can add a link to your website. They'll track hits. Uh, most of the services, uh, like Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, they have some built-in analytics tools available, which are really useful and free to an extent. Um, some of the stuff you don't really need necessarily, and you can sort of have an idea of what kind of effect you're having just using the free tools. So again, make sure you have some kind of plan in place and make sure you're figuring out what your return on investment is for the marketing uh, endeavors you're undertaking. And that'll serve you in good stead, I think. Jared, I briefly want to touch on um, one of the newest uh, social media tools or techniques, um, and that's Pinterest. Mm -hmm. um, I noticed you listened to it, listed it in your talking points for the show. Are you using it? 
Uh, I do not use Pinterest. I'm, af- um, I'm afraid of it. I'm afraid of it because I'm, th- I'm afraid I'll get sucked into web addiction. <laughs> like I did that little web patch game when I first got on Facebook and I just gardened to death and finally I had to turn my computer <laughs> off or I'd still be virtually gardening and unemployed. Um, but I mean, it's fascinating and I'm dying to try it, but I was just curious to see if you know any uh, legal professionals that are using it for marketing. I don't know a ton. Uh, some people have talked about using it for yeah. legal marketing, but they're not aggressively using it. So you remember my wife, the paralegal that I love? I do. Um, <laughs> she is She is on Pinterest. She uses Pinterest all the time. It's a ridiculous addiction. Um, <laughs> what I find is that it's mostly women on Pinterest, not yep. to be sexist or anything, but a lot of it is fashion. A lot mm-hmm. of it is cooking. And, and most of the users, the highest percentage of users are women. So I think if you're an attorney and you're going to use Pinterest, it's like everything else. Figure out how, how it is useful for marketing your practice. So if you're somebody who's an attorney who's in the fashion industry, for example, maybe Pinterest is a home run for you. Uh, but for the most part, I don't think it's necessarily a home run. I mean, if you're an elder law attorney or a real estate attorney, how would you use Pinterest? I haven't figured that out yet, and I think at this point it's probably a waste of time. I have some thoughts on that, but this is a short show, so maybe we'll get that to another time. Um, you have been really, really informative. Um, we have enjoyed this immensely, and I know our listeners um, have gotten a lot of ideas regarding uh, using technology in their everyday uh, jobs, and I hope that a lot of attorneys will listen to this podcast, uh, because I think it's a good one uh, for attorneys as well as paralegals. Um, how can our listeners get in touch with you if they've got any questions about today's topic? So all our information about me and about our company is on our website, which is uh, masslomap, M-A-S-S-L-O-M-A-P dot org. Thanks, Jared. And if anyone has any questions about today's show, please email them to Voice at gmail.com. It's time for another short break. And when we come back, Lynn and I will have some paralegal news and announcements. So we'll be right back. You never have enough friends or followers, right? Check out Legal Talk Network on Facebook and Twitter. LinkedIn, too. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial playing in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at legaltalknetwork.com. Welcome back to The Paralegal Voice. This is the time when Vicki and I give our practice tips and social media tips. I'm just going to talk for a second about the Twitter, the least used social media resource probably by most legal professionals today other than blogging. Um, Twitter is fun. If you're not already using it, at least to follow a couple of um, national legal experts like Jared, for example. Um Set up a Twitter account. Make sure you use that only 160-character description of yourself to indicate what kind of legal professional you are. Otherwise, people will think you are a porn spammer. So watch out for that. Uh, Pick a professional name, uh, not one that is that, again, makes you look all funky and sketchy. Um, And have fun with Twitter. You can tweet links and news of interest. Um, you can, I use it sort of as a micro blogging device and I always challenge people to tell a three sentence story, um, because it lends sort of a storytelling narrative aspect to your Twitter stream, a little bit like a diary, a little form of micro blogging and tweet fun stuff like pictures. I mean, I've been tweeting my cat and we went to the flea market on a Saturday and saw these crazy, crazy boots that had these tips that were like four feet long. And I uh, posted a picture of that via Twitter and was surprised 
surprised at the number of people that actually opened it and looked at the picture. So, you know, Twitter's fun. Don't be afraid of it. Of course, never use it to breach client confidentiality or be less than professional. But um, it's not such a straight-laced format, and it can be very informative and fun. Uh, Vicki, how about your practice tip? Well, first of all, I want to tell you that I totally agree with you, Lynn, but I think that Twitter is not only fun and not only a great networking tool, it's a great learning tool because when people post um, links to different articles, uh, it's just it's just a great way to learn and, and to keep up with what's going on in the legal field. My practice tip is about treating clients well and remembering that, you know, almost everyone that the paralegal comes in contact with should be treated as a client, regardless of whether there are other paralegals or legal secretaries, other attorneys within the firm, you know, treat them well and they'll treat you well. And also, although, you know, you might be doing work to really help the lawyer that you work with, and that's that's your primary goal. Remember that the work you're doing is to further the needs and wants of the client. And everything, uh, you know, regardless of, of your job title, you need to keep this in mind as a common goal. Treat that client well, and they'll be back, and they'll love you. And that's the best thing that you can ask for. So it it does facilitate getting work done and getting work done well and getting it done before the the deadline. So that's all the time we have today for the Paralegal Voice. Don't forget to check out the show notes on our blogs, practicalparalegalism.com and paralegalmentor.com. This is Lynn Devaney. And I'm Vicki Voison, thanking you all for joining us today and reminding you to make your paralegal voice heard The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to The Paralegal Voice with Linda Venny and Vicki Voison. This podcast is produced by the Legal Talk Network. Be sure to get the next edition of the podcast. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.